Sit down. Uh, good morning. My son, before we left the house this morning, said, hey, could you wear a tie? <laughs> sure, why not? So. Already sweating right here, but it's good to see you. Thanks for being out here uh, on December 27th, the last Sunday of the year. How many of you are ready for the year to go away? Anybody? It's been one of those? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, anyway. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be uh, today. We'll get there in just a moment. I want to show you this. Um, anybody have one of these? Like, this is a moleskin. Anybody into moleskin journals? Anybody? Thank you. Good. It's okay. You can respond. It's one of those places. But um, I have a few of these, and they're not like deep thought. They're work journals. I just do everything in my work here. And uh, a few of them have been from here. There's coffee on the floor, so if you happen to rush the stage, be careful. <laughs> okay, well, uh, Merry Christmas. No, it's interesting. This is an interesting one because this one I had when uh, both I worked at my last church, which was down in McDonough, uh, just south of here, uh, rocking the suburbs. And the other half was when I moved here. So it's a real interesting journal to read back through. Uh, it's, again, it's just work stuff. You could steal this today and learn nothing about anything about me other than what I was doing at work. But right in the middle, I mean literally right in the middle, is a staff meeting. We were having a staff meeting at the last, at the last church, January 16th, 2007. And it says staff meeting right under that. And it's been interesting to look back at the notes, you know, like, uh, do you do that? Do you pick up your yearbook and just like, not that this is a yearbook, but because those are like, uh, those are horrible to look at your yearbooks. But um, anyway, this was a staff meeting, and we always started staff meeting with uh, prayer requests, you know, things going on in the church, and uh, are the Mackenzacks here? <laughs> uh-huh, Okay. Just kidding. Uh, her last name used to be Preston, and they used to attend this church I worked at down there. And she's the first one on the list. Holly Preston's mother was having surgery in a couple of weeks. So thought that was cool. Look back. She attends here now. That's interesting. Uh, there's a note in here about um, there was a guy coming the next day to take pictures. Let's give it up for Carl. Yeah. <laughs> if y'all don't know Carl, like, one time my microphone went out, and he had batteries, like, on his person. <laughs> and uh, he saved the day. So thank you, Carl. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, there's a note in here, too, that it's a reminder that the next day, tomorrow, at 1 p.m., we're taking staff pictures for the website, which I hate. I hate pictures because I, I have that disease, like, you can't smile in front of the camera correctly. And so that's... That's me. <laughs> so. uh, then there's a note here that in March we were having a town hall gathering, which was our code for um, congregational meetings for the church. We just softened it with town hall meeting. It was virtually miserable. Uh, come one, come all. Criticism and coffee. It's a fun night. <laughs> so I had that written down. 
And then there's a line, and then there's a section here. It was probably the whiteboard session where the, the staff leader got up, and he was writing stuff on the board. And, you know, it's all just vision and mission and preserve the magic uh, sort of stuff. So I've got that written down, and it's interesting. And then underneath that, there's this, like, it looks like this, by the way, if you're just wondering. Okay. Um, underneath that is a set list for a worship gathering called The Gathering. I was still leading worship for this youth gathering every so many months, and so I was obviously not paying attention at that point and was working ahead, right? Uh, there's something to the right of it called The Loft, which was our youth room at my church. Really cool name, and then someplace in Midtown stole the name. Uh, but we had it first. I just want to make that clear. And um, so that's that. It's got some work stuff. And then right over here is this to-do list for the day. And then right at the top, there's this, uh, there's the, the initials, C-P-A-C, CPAC, if you're from the GOP, uh, CPAC on disc, which is, which stands for Church Planters Assessment Center, all right? I was scheduled to go to the Church Planters Assessment Center, which was sort of like this boot camp, biggest loser sort of thing for people who are going to work in churches like this, newer churches. So my wife and I had to go to this thing, and there was all this stuff on a disc that we had to complete and fill out and, uh, and get turned back in before the end of the month or something like that. So there's all this stuff about the current church, and then there's this little section over here about what's coming. But here's what you don't know, I haven't told you yet. The church I'm working for doesn't know that I'm leaving, right? So, and the church that I was here, by the way, that I was moving to uh, was kind of in the know, but you guys really weren't told yet either. So it's interesting. The very middle of the journal is a transition, and no one knew about it except me. So I'm taking notes. I'm engaged. I'm not checking out too much, although I was working on some worship stuff down here. Uh, but I'm working over here on this stuff, and then right over here I'm making some notes about I need to get that stuff ready for the next thing too, but these people over here don't know about that, so I'll just write CPAC, right? And not Church Planters Assessment Center. It's interesting. So really, these two pages, they communicate a transition, like a story of transition in my life. I mean, these two pages are, they're really sort of a, they're straddled. There's like one foot in the old world and another foot in the new world. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever been there? Like you know what's about to happen, but nobody else knows what's happening? No? You live boring lives if you don't have that sort of... <laughs> By the way, I'm sweating. This is interesting. It's, the, it's, it's you, it's the tie, it's everything. Uh, but that's okay. These pages, they tell a story of movement from one thing to the next. And the phrase you want to remember today is from something old uh, to something new. Do you have your Bible, Luke chapter 2? The birth of Jesus, which we've talked about mostly all month, was among many things uh, a transition from something old to something new. Uh, when Jesus came along, it was, a, it was a transition between what was old and what was to come. Now, on your seat, everybody should have, if you walked in and grabbed a chair, you'll have to, we'll have to get some people to hand these to you. 
But we put the connection cards on every seat because I want everybody to do something with those today at the end. And it's on the back part where it's blank. So don't throw that away. And, and if you have that, go ahead and drop that in your Bible or in your lap. And I, this is what I want you to think about as I teach through the text today. I want you to think about the phrase like spiritual transitions. Like what are the spiritual transitions that are happening in your life? And honestly, as we're sort of gunning for resolutions, what are the ones that you would like to see happen in the next year? What transitions in your life with God do you want to see happen over the next year? Not that you put a timetable on things like that, but just there has to be some sort of idea about what you're looking for spiritually over the next few months, few years, and then we'll get back to that at the end. Now the background to Luke chapter 2. Um, Luke, by the way, tells the most detailed version of the birth stories in the Bible. It's understood by most that Luke just sat down with Mary and took great notes on the birth stories. And Luke is the only gospel that includes any story about the early life of Jesus. I mean, he includes the story of Jesus in the temple as a boy. Do you remember the story where his parents lost him? Like you do in a big crowd, they lost him for three days. And uh, they ended up, they found him in the temple. And Jesus kind of said in his 12-year-old way, did you know where I was? Uh, is a little more reverent than that, but they look for him for three days, so he records that story. He also records the story we're going to look at today. It was uh, Luke that wrote these words about the, the growth of Jesus as a child. Next slide. You there? Good. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So you have this picture. Uh, Luke is giving us this picture that Jesus was a person. He grew. He grew in wisdom. He was learning. He grew in stature like he grew physically and he grew in favor with God and men now Luke borrowed this slightly from first Samuel next slide a boy named Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men now Samuel didn't get wisdom like Jesus did so I don't know what was going on there but uh, but this is a common way of describing in the scriptures someone who is growing up the right you know in that way that he's growing in stature and in favor with both God. So there's like the spiritual growth, this wisdom growth, and this social growth that's happening. And so it's a, it's a, so Luke records that. And Luke kind of gives us the story between the stories. He gives us the transitional events, not many, between the birth of Jesus and his ministry here on earth. Really, only two of the four gospels even have the birth story. And three of the four basically jump straight to his ministry and teachings, which happened shortly before the end of his life. But Luke drops us down into some key moments, some key events that tell the story of the movement from something old to something new, from one thing to the next. And our text today is one of those stories. Look at verse 21. We'll start there. Luke writes, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, thank you very much, there's the word, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. Now Luke gives us a picture of Joseph and Mary's connection to the Jewish customs and the laws of the day. Two things are mentioned in this verse. One, he was circumcised. All right. Number two, he was given the name Jesus. The name is actually Yeshua. Let me hear you say the word Yeshua. Yeah, it means God saves. It's the newer version of the word Joshua. 
And so two things were done. His circumcision and his name was given to him. Now the circumcision wasn't just a health issue, but it physically connected a person, a child, a young male, to the covenant of God with his people. The reference here is Genesis 17. It says, you are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is speaking, you know, to the people of Abraham. And of course, Abraham is saying, really, circumcision? I mean, Noah, he got a rainbow. (laughs) So... Uh, it's the last Sunday of the year. It's just one of those things. For generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old, there's the reference, must be circumcised, including those born into your household or bought with money from a foreigner. You can just insert the phrase, or the ones you adopted, those who are not your offspring. So there's the reference. Now, the naming of the child was also traditionally done at this time. Now, we name our babies years before they're even around, don't we? we got the big book of children's names, all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, some of you aren't even married. You know the names of your kids, the color of their hair, where they're going to go to school, what they're going to wear, what you would do if you were a parent, right? Now, my son, we got him a guitar for Christmas because he wants to be in the band. Yeah, there he is. Easy, easy text. Still working on that E minor. Uh, but the first thing he wanted to do with his guitar, other than play it, was name it, which I was like, that's cool. <laughs> we, n- we must name the guitar. So uh, if you have any names, submit those. We, we're, we're running up short. But it was customary to name the kid eight days into his life, and that's what we find his parents doing here. That's what Joseph and Mary are doing. Even though they already knew his name, the angel tipped them off beforehand, but They've waited. So they did everything to the letter of the law. They waited eight days. They had him circumcised, and then they named him. Paul says it this way in Galatians 4. This is very interesting. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, which is interesting as well, just aside free stuff for you. Uh, all births in the Bible are born of a man. They're born of your father. But Jesus is known as someone who is born of a woman, but uh, born under the law. So it's this little phrase at the end saying, Jesus grew up in those customs. He grew up underneath the law. He was born into that. Look at verses 22 through 24. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So this is some, there's some time between verse 21 and 22, roughly a month. In verse 23, it says, As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated or dedicated or given, is sometimes a phrase, to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, the purification laws back then were pretty clear to the Jewish people. If you had a baby girl, your away time, your downtime, your purification time was about 80 days. If you had a boy, it was about 40 days. And that, of course, included the, the eight days where you named the child and so on. And after those 40 days, you would take your son to the temple to be presented or dedicated to the Lord. We do this here to some degree. A couple times a year, we have dedication moments in our service of new parents, newborns who've uh, you know, have recently come along into the world. But I can guarantee you that what we do in here, and it's not much, 
is far uh, more elaborate than what Jesus would have gone through. It was a very humbling thing, and what Luke describes here was a very simple, down-to-earth, brown bag moment for those parents. Joseph and Mary were doing what they just knew to do as they had learned it from the scriptures. There's also a mention that they brought a sacrifice. Now, traditionally, it would have been a lamb, but there were provisions made in the Old Testament law that if you could not afford a lamb, that you could bring two cheap birds. So it says that they brought two young pigeons. That would cost today about a quarter. So Luke gives us also another picture inside the early life of Jesus in that his two parents were very poor. And so Jesus is framed from the very beginning of the story as someone who came from almost nothing socially and culturally. Some historians uh, connect this to his intense uh, empathy towards the poor and those in need and his love for them. Verse 25 is a long section through 32. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Let me hear you say Simeon. It's important. Maybe you know this guy. Maybe you don't. It might be brand new. Who was righteous and devout. Simeon was righteous and devout. He's also a priest because he's working in the temple. And it was the priest's job to do the dedication, the presentation of the child. Now, Luke tells us that Simeon was righteous and a devout man. Look what it says next. He was waiting. So you have this Another word for transition. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So Luke tells us that he's righteous, he's devout, and he's waiting. He's waiting on the Savior. He's waiting on Messiah. Now, Israel had been waiting for a long time. When the prophet spoke and wrote of a coming Savior, the anticipation of the Jewish world was easy to see and to feel. Some historians believe that at the time of Jesus, that hope was at its highest. That anticipation was at its highest. And if you just read through the Psalms, you will find so many things in there that where the writer is essentially begging God to do something, to come, to come soon. But then it stopped. I mean, the last drop of ink to hit the scroll of the Old Testament It would be nearly 400 years before Jesus was born. Four centuries of not hearing anything from God. Silence. And I get impatient when I don't have an answer from God at the end of the day. We're talking about forgotten generations. Nothing. That's a long period of transition. And Simeon was one of those people that still hoped in that salvation from God. He still put his hope in God's faithfulness and relationship to the world. And so when we read the words that he was waiting, it's a nice tight frame on the picture of Simeon's heart, like his demeanor and his hopes, and he was counting on God to do something. He was counting on God to deliver. Look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So this is a very very cool part of the story. Simeon has been tipped off from God himself. Look, it's, you're not going to die before this happens. And so he had been promised by God that he would see the coming Messiah in his lifetime. And whereas millions had hoped he would come, and sometimes you and I hope that too, right? We just hope he comes back. Maybe this past year has been that kind of year. 
But Simeon knew, like he knew that he would live to see this day. Look at verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, which is where the family would have been. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praising God and saying, and then we'll follow this with me, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. The NIV, for some reason, switches those. It's actually, you now can dismiss your servant in peace as you have promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, what Simeon said when he held Jesus for Joseph and Mary was definitely worth the price of admission. But the very last thing he says, look down at verse uh, 32, is very heavy. This baby is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, which is a common word for anybody other than Israel, just the world, and for glory to your people Israel. It, gets its, it has its roots in this. Next slide. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. This is from the prophet Isaiah. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the who? To the Gentiles. To open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Now, in that day, most devout Jews had dismissed any idea of Gentiles getting in with God. If you read the book of Acts, you will notice, which is a history book of the early church, you will notice that the first and greatest debate in the first church was what do we do with the Gentiles? Because most of the early Christians were Jewish. The synagogues were just flipped into houses of Jesus worship. But they still had this issue of, hey, the whole world's coming in our door. What do we do with that? And you will find some of the greatest debates and uh, some of the greatest decisions that were made in the book of Acts about what do we do with the rest of the world. So I'm not making this up. It was very difficult for the world, the Jewish world, to look outside of their own people and think that God had anything good for them. So Simeon, for Simeon to praise God over the fact that the whole world would come to know him through this baby was pretty heavy. Look at verses 33 through 35. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him clearly then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary it's almost like he didn't know they were there like oh, oh let me talk to you now then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too, which is really what you love to hear when the nurse brings in your newborn. It's a pretty baby. He's going to be trouble. Right? That's what she's hearing. It's not the stuff you want to hear at your dedication. It's not the stuff you want the religious leader to tell you. But Simeon says two things about Jesus. He will be the cause of the falling of many in Israel. He will be the cause of the rising of many in Israel. This term falling is the word tosis. 
and it means to basically collapse. There's a point of moral decision with Jesus. So when Simeon holds up the baby, he says, this baby will cause people to collapse. There's a moral decision that must be made with Jesus. And Simeon is telling the parents that people will be confronted with some decisions to make about their relationship with the God of the universe and his world, and some will fall. And then uh, in 1 Corinthians, notice this. We preach Christ crucified, Paul says. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. There's that word, that phrase, stumbling block. Like for some, for many, for most perhaps, Jesus is just, he doesn't make a lot of sense. And he causes people sometimes to fall. Now the word rising is the word resurrection. It's the word anastasis. And resurrection is the idea, this new life with God. Jesus would say this, uh, John records his words, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. So there's these two like opposing things. There's like some people fall, some people rise. It's a scary and cryptic baby dedication for Joseph and Mary. And they hear some things that are heavy in meaning and purpose. But they're confronted with who Jesus ultimately is. And the greatest of which is this, that everything was changing. And Jesus was changing everything. Everything was changing. And Jesus was changing everything. Verse 33 again, just backing up. The child's father and mother marveled. It's not the first time Luke will say something similar, like Mary pondered these things in her heart. The child's father and mother pondered. It goes like this, just getting down to the conclusion. Something at this baby dedication, something was happening. Something was beginning to happen, but not, but not yet. Something was coming, but it wasn't completely on the scene. They got a pretty amazing message in the temple that day of what was to come. And in a sense, it was already in play, but not completely. Because the one account of Jesus as a boy impressing those adults in the temple with his knowledge of Scripture, from the, with the exception of that story, from the moment Joseph and Mary walked out of the baby dedication with their six-week-old son, it would still be quite a while before anything went down that we know of. For all we know, it was very quiet. A lot of attention has been given to the childhood of Jesus and what may have been going on, but the gospel writers virtually leave it alone. They virtually skip over it as if it were just fairly normal. But at that moment, the parents of Jesus, they marveled, Luke says, at what was said about their son, Jesus, everything was changing, but not just yet. They would have to live in this transitional period of just normalcy until everything started to happen. Uh, we received, and thank you for these, we received a lot of emails. I've gotten some personal comments. People have called. Um, that's pretty much all the modes of communication. Uh, some texts. I'm not on Twitter. I think I am on Twitter because I keep getting emails that say that people are following me, but I've never, I'm a bad leader on Twitter, so I hope they're not disappointed. 
I mean, what do you do with that? Maybe you're really into that, so I don't want to dog that, but I mean, really? <laughs> I'm looking at my notes. Okay, sorry. It's the end of the year. It's a lot built up. Uh, no, we've gotten a lot of comments and emails about our uh, end of the year report that we sent out. Uh, some of you uh, have talked to us about that, and just it's been very encouraging to hear uh, some of those some of those things that you said. And and to be honest, we're totally humbled that a you read it, and b uh, that it was well it was well received. And I and I'll tell you, it took a lot of work. Um, I must admit to to sit down and to go back over the last 52 Sundays and to grab some of the, the, the most meaningful stories that have unfolded in our church family that I knew of. And I've, I've farmed a few of them out and mined a few stories from some of you, but at least the ones I knew of, it took a lot of work just to, to decide which ones uh, to write about. But I'll say that it was pretty much uh, worth it because we got, we got to remember what God had done. And that's important. And I think I even said this in there, it's just my job as the pastor to stand up here or to sit up here and to say, I, I just need to remind you that God is working, that this isn't just a thing that we do, but God is working, and there are stories that show that. And so it was really good to remember what God had done uh, in this place over the last year and how he really has transitioned us uh, as a church in so many ways and in so many places. Um, some of you may have read what's coming up in the next year, and if you go back and read it again, that's the theme. It's just tra no, it's transition. There's so many more things that we're developing in and uh, ready to put into practice and ready to give it a shot. And there's some things on there that are probably uh, ridiculous, that we don't even need to uh, go for that. But we feel led that these are just some things that God wants us to do. God does not want us just to stay the way we are, but we're to keep serving Him and to growing in our relationship with Him. I have a folder on my desktop of my computer that, that says CCB, and if you're new with us, that's our initials, uh, CCB 2010 Archives. And in that folder is a folder for every month of the new year. And every month I will be dropping in stories and things that have been going on and uh, interviews from maybe you or just pictures that get taken of people serving or people's lives being changed. I mean, anything that happens in every month of next year is going to get dropped into this folder. And that way, I won't have, A, as hard a time. What happened back in March? So it's partly organizational, but partly it's just for my own my own benefit as your pastor to make sure that I'm in touch with what God is doing in our community here. And if you really read the words of the report closely again, you would have noticed the tone of transition. And the most rewarding uh, to remember and write down was the one about growth and change in people's lives. I mean, Jamie did a whole piece on connect groups. And to be honest, I mean, I'm in a connect group. I help lead a connect group. Uh, but I'm not in the other 12 or 13 of them, so I don't know what's going on. But to read the little bullet points of all the different things that groups were doing and things that were going on in those groups, that was amazing to me. And I just, I loved it. I loved every word of it. And, uh, and just the stories about how many people were taking classes this summer. I mean, we just, 
<laughs> Let's do something called summer school because we thought that was a cool name. And like 100 people signed up for classes and it just blew us away. And um, just the stories of if you read, I think I just put it on the email newsletter, but I interviewed a family that left here to move back to Portland, which we burned their house down because of that because we love them. But, uh, but I, got, I got a chance to sit down with them and just ask them some questions about their life here at CCB and while they were in Atlanta and so on. And they just, they had so much to say about uh, how much they've grown here. And so the whole year has been one of transition. And when Simeon picked up Jesus in his arms, he knew that this was the beginning of a great transition in the world. I mean, Joseph and Mary, they're still counting diapers. And Simeon's talking about the future of the world and salvation and all of that that would come from this baby. Everything was changing, and Jesus was changing everything. Bring that back up, Reagan. There's a, there's a verse right underneath that. I know you know this verse. We ran this play quite a bit this past year, but if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. And I know I've said this a, a million times. I promise not to say it in 2010. I promise. But that phrase, he is a new creation, is written in such a way that it's ongoing. It's always, you're always being recreated. The old is gone and the new has come. Now, there wasn't punctuation in the Greek, but I do appreciate the translators throwing that exclamation mark in there. Because who wouldn't think that? The old is gone and the new has come. The old is gone, the new has come. In closing, I know many of you and me as well, we're gunning for new things in, in the new year. And if you're like me, I'm pretty much ready to be done with this year. Six months of this year has been for our family, and most of you know this, but uh, there was a death in the family, there was a miscarriage, there was me getting run over by a pickup truck, there were two surgeries following that, multiple doctor visits, just it, everything went crazy for, from July to now. Which, this is a cool part of the story. I had my last, uh, do you care if I tell you? Do, doesn't matter, I'm up here, I got the mic. Uh, um, no, I went, I went from a final x-ray, um, and the surgeon came in after the x-rays, and uh, he said, I was doing this when he came in, and uh, he goes, hey, do that again. I was like, <laughs> and uh, he said, really? Okay, do this. So I'm doing my arms out, and I'm like doing all this stuff. And he said, hang on. And he ran out, and I'm like, oh, great. I'm going back in surgery again, you know, because <laughs> that's what happened last time. He comes running back in with a camera, and he goes, do all those movements again. He goes, no one is ever that mobile after we do that kind of surgery in your arm. So I was like, cool, I'm a freak of nature. That was good. So I'm on some, like, North London medical site picture. So that's been a, that's a good ending. I mean, I walked out of that place and, yeah, got on my bike, and it was nice. But even still, I'm pretty much ready for 2010. And I normally don't live on resolutions because I usually break them just like you do, or I forget about them. But let me give you at least one challenge for the new year. And you'll hear this a little bit uh, in the new year, but let me just give you one challenge, and it's in the form of a scripture. Paul says, continue to work out your salvation.
That's a statement of transition, is it not? Continue to work on this. Continue to work on this. Continue to, to do whatever it is that you've got to do to grow in your faith. Work it out. Continue to work it out. So here's how we'll end today. Um, and thanks for being here. What a, what a great morning that we've had together. We're going to move into three things all at once. Um, communion, offering, and this thing I want you to do with the cards. Uh, let me explain the cards, or let me explain communion and offering first. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, there are four tables down front, and um, the screen will prompt you and uh, give you some instructions on that, but basically the bread and the juice we take, we eat and drink every week as a reminder of, of Christ, his life, his death, and the hope of his return. Uh, the baskets on the table are for offering, but you're go everybody's going to need the baskets today. All right? So let me just explain the card. Pick up your card. Now, what I'm about to say, you don't have to do. It's, there's nothing, nobody's forcing you to do anything. Uh, if you don't have a card, raise your hand, and some people will come and give you one. Uh, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a few moments before you get up uh, for communion, and I want you to think about spiritual transitions over the next year. And I don't mean, uh, I mean, maybe it is this, because some of you do this, and I'm blown away that you follow through with it, and it's, you get a big write-on from me, but I'm going to read the whole Bible next year. Some people have done that, and it's just been amazing. But maybe it's other things. I mean, maybe it's just, I just want to grow in my faith, and that's it. That's all you write. Or I just want to get my head around who this Jesus is. Or I want to try to connect uh, the scripture to my everyday life, or I don't know. I mean, there's just something, you know You know your life better than, than I do, but I want you to take a few moments and write down what that transition is going to be for you or what you would like it to be over the next year. But here's the tough part. I want you to put your address on the other side, even if we have you in the database, because uh, on Monday, everybody that drops a card in, we're printing label sheets, and we're going to file that with your card and then this time next year, you'll get this in the mail. And it'll be a chance for you to look back and do it yourself and to look back and say, there have been some transitions for me. And again, for some of you, maybe your transition is, I just want to reclaim my faith. Like, I just lost that. I just want to love God again. And that's what you write down. Or it's, I got to get out of the seat and serve. Because I've been soaking this up for a while and then everything in between. So you take a few moments and put that together, and then when you're ready, you can make your way to one of the four tables, drop that in the basket, take the Lord's Supper, and then return to your seat, and we will uh, sing one song on the way out. Let me pray for you, and then we'll move forward. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for um, your son, whom we've spoken about all month, the birth you could have come in a variety of ways, but you showed up in the most familiar, most humbling uh, way. And God, everything has changed because of your son. And Father, we just, we take a few moments and we, we sit in reflection of that. We, we are grateful, as the scriptures say, that you loved us so much you gave your one and only Son. But Father, he, 
He has come so that we can reconnect to you. He has come so that our lives can be renovated and resurrected. But it's an ongoing thing, as Paul says, that we continue to work out this thing that we have with you. It's not stagnant, but it's always moving. It's just dynamic. And so we, I pray for, for those here today with the cards in their hands that they already know exactly where it is that they would love to be with you. And so God, I just ask that you move in the lives of everyone in here over the next year. And when these hit the mailbox this time next year, that it's just a story of, of transformation. But between now and then, Father, it's a transition. We love you and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.